0: But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone in him excuse me, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit.
1: Thank you, Sister. Let's pray. Lord, it's so good to be with you. You are so kind to save us into a family. Thank you for not calling us, commanding us to live the Christian life alone. Lord, I pray today as we study your word, that you would use your word to build us on the gospel, to connect us in Christ, to increase our personal and corporate holiness, and to make this a place that in an increasing way is filled with the spirit of the living God. Father, I stand behind this pulpit today. Not because I believe that I have a performance to give. But because I'm convinced you've got a word to speak. And you use weak vessels like us. To speak a mighty word. And so I pray today that once again, as I pray week after week these brothers and sisters that I love would hear your words way louder than mine in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. I'm sure that quite a few of you have followed the immigration crisis that Europe is facing right now to speak of Europe again. And I read, uh, this week on the BBC That in 2015 alone More than 1.8 million migrants Crossed into Europe uh, The great majority entering through Greece you know they're, they're crossing the Aegean Sea In rubber dinghies Or small wooden boats And slightly more than 1 million Have applied for asylum But less than 300,000 were actually granted asylum so if you do the math on that that means that Europe has about 1.5 million refugees who have absolutely no official status and it's hard at least it's hard for me to read their stories and not feel compassion for their plight Many of these men and women and children are fleeing violence in places like Syria, Afghanistan, Iraq. And lacking the rights and privileges that citizens of countries enjoy, citizens of Germany, Hungary, Sweden, many of these men and women and children suffer from isolation, loneliness, and detachment in a way that few of us, many of us that are American citizens, can relate to. It's hard to relate to that. Because if you're an American citizen like I am, folks, I think it's really easy to take your rights and privileges for granted. I think it's really easy to do that. It's easy to forget what life is like for strangers and aliens. And one of the reasons the Apostle Paul wrote... This letter to the church in Ephesus it said so that they wouldn't do that. They would remember what it was like to be a stranger and alien. That they too, Ephesians 2.12, were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul said that because the Ephesians were Gentiles. What does that mean? Well, that meant that prior to the coming of Christ, the only hope they had for enjoying the gift of relationship with God was to move to the land of Israel and become part of the Jewish people. Okay, that meant if you were a, a male Gentile, you had to be circumcised as a sign of spiritual devotion to Yahweh. And most Gentiles were not. So they were spiritual strangers and aliens. When it came to relationship with God, they were they were separated from God. They were separated from the people of God. And all of that changed when Jesus showed up. All of that changed. Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. What does that mean? Well, that means that drawing near to God was no longer about drawing near to Israel it was about drawing near to Christ. That's how you drew near to God. For it is through Christ and Christ alone, friend, that now in this day, this age, we are cleansed of our sin, reconciled to God, and reconciled to one another. Circumcision of the flesh has been replaced by, by circumcision of the heart a spiritual attitude of, of repentance and faith that trust Jesus to make us right with God and trust Jesus to make us right with one another. As I said earlier this morning, unity, true unity, is a relationship that God creates through the power of the gospel. Ephesians 2.18, For through Him, through Christ, Jew and Gentile alike, We have access in one spirit to the Father. That's everything I preached in three minutes from two weeks ago. You're welcome. Now listen, that has implications. That has implications. And it's the implications that we're now going to turn our attention to with the Apostle Paul. Because Paul says, beginning in Ephesians 2.19... So then there's an implication. In fact, there's multiple implications for the fact that unity with God and one another is the gift that God gives through the gospel. So then, Paul says, if you're a Christian, you are no longer strangers or aliens in a spiritual sense. You are what? Look at verse 19. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That's identity language. And that means that when you become a Christian, two things change, are transformed in your personal identity. Okay, here's the first. You become a citizen of an entirely new kingdom. A new citizen of an entirely new kingdom. To be a fellow citizen with the saints is another way of saying that the moment you become a Christian, this world ceases to be your home. You become, in that moment, a pilgrim, a migrant. Only unlike the Syrian migrants, you have a true home. You do. You have a secure home. You have a safe home. And it's waiting for you in heaven. Your citizenship changes. Second. You become part of a new family. When Paul says that a Christian becomes part of the household of God, a member of the household of God, that's a shocking statement. Why is it a shocking statement? Because that's the exact opposite of what we deserve. Okay, For, For sinners like you and me to be rescued out of the kingdom of this world and granted citizenship in the kingdom of God with all the rights and privileges therein is an unbelievable privilege. But you know what? God didn't stop there. God said, I'm not just going to make you citizens of my kingdom. We're we're going to go way beyond that. You're going to become part of the royal family. You see the difference? I'm going to make you a citizen of a new kingdom, but I'm not going to stop there. I'm going to adopt you as my sons and daughters. I'm going to go so far as to make you my kids. You're going to be members of the royal family. That's what Paul's saying. He's not just our king. God's our father. And if you're a Christian, you get to call the king of the universe your dad. That's remarkable. It's remarkable. But there's a a problem here. There's there's a tension here. There's a challenge here. And that's this king's way. That just because God's granted us a new identity new citizen, new dad, that doesn't mean that we're living in the good of it. Just because you have a certain identity doesn't mean you are walking out or through the pattern of your life showing the world that that's actually who you are. And there's a particular way of denying our identity that I think we're uniquely susceptible to as American Christians Who live in a culture that celebrates individualism and trains us from the day we're born to think as individuals, to act as individuals, and to only associate with groups to the degree it reinforces our individual identity and aligns with our individual priorities. Translation, we are exceptionally competent consumers. And here's the danger with that, with that individualism. We forget, this is the point of this entire sermon, Paul's main point, we forget that membership in the church is the goal of the gospel. We forget that. We forget that membership in the church is the goal of the gospel. In Ephesians 2, Paul lays out very carefully the work of the gospel. What God's done to reconcile us to God and what God's done to reconcile us to one another. But that gospel, that that work, that saving work has a goal. It has a result. It's meant to culminate in something, to produce something, namely to make sinners members of a redeemed community. I'm not just talking about, you know, the, the universal church in some sort of quasi-nebulous sense. I'm talking about a local church, members of a local community like Kingsway. God challenges us here to stop thinking of our identity in individualistic terms. And start thinking about our identity in corporate terms because membership in the church is the goal of the gospel. And in these verses, especially 19 to 22, that's what we're going to focus on. Paul gives us this beautiful description of the church, of God's household, so that we could understand our corporate identity and appreciate our corporate identity and live out our corporate identity. So here's the title of this sermon. Your identity is bigger than you. Your identity is bigger than you. And what I'm so thankful for about these verses, 19 to 22, is they contain in such a small package God's vision for the church. Do you realize God actually has a vision for this church? He does. He has a plan for this church. He has a design for this church. I'm not not just talking about Kingsway alone, but for every true biblical church, Christian church. God has a vision for that church, and God has a vision for our church. And so what I want us to do this morning is to simply consider as we work through these verses, does your vision for the church, if you're a member of Kingsway, does your vision for Kingsway, does it line up with God's? Does it line up with God's? Given membership in the church is the goal of the gospel, does your vision for the church line up with God's? Okay, so, what is God's vision for the church? I'm gonna make four points to answer that question. Here's the first. God's vision for the church. First, the local church is a redeemed community that is, we're just gonna answer this in different ways. The local church is a redeemed community that is, four answers. Number one, built on the gospel. Built on the gospel. So, Paul's first description of the church, the household of God, Look at verse twenty. Couldn't be more important or central. What does he say? He says the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone. When my wife and I were shopping for a new house, may shared this with some of you. Uh, it was it was fun. It was stressful, but it was fun. And one of the things that we did in preparation was we made a list of all the required features in the home we were looking for and all the desired features. You know, so the way this works is you have to find something that hits all your required features. You hope you find something that has a few of the desired features. You know, and so we would put things like, Well, what's required? Well, a garage is required. Well, what's desired? Well, like a big front porch. You know what was not on either list? A strong foundation. It wasn't. Well, why not? I mean, you chuckle. Well, because we just assume that, right? Every house has a foundation. Duh. If it's standing there, it has a foundation. I just, I just presume it's there. I presume it's strong. I mean, when was the last time you saw a real estate listing that went like this? You know, uh, beautiful lawn, close to 288, strong foundation. You know, it's just they don't say that because we just presume that. But I learned that's a really bad assumption. It is. Because of a little thing called shrink swell soil. And what shrink swell soil does is over time it causes that ground underneath the foundation to shift and move and change. And so these these cracks develop and at first they're imperceptible, but over time if you don't if you don't pay people to do some very expensive repairs, the cracks grow. And that foundation can crumble and literally parts of the house can start to fall down. Well, friends, I think the exact same thing is true of the church. The church, Paul says, is is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We actually have a foundation and we should care about it. Give attention to it. The apostles and prophets were those who were uniquely called by God, gifted by God to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the early church. If you look down at Ephesians 3, 8, Paul defines them. He says, speaking of the mystery of Christ, the truth of the gospel is that which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So the apostles and prophets were those that God used to deliver the normative revelation of the gospel to the early church and on the pages of the New Testament. So to speak of the foundation of the apostles and prophets isn't just to speak of them as persons, but to speak of them as stewards of God's message. Which is why Paul says that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of all that. What's a cornerstone? I'm not a mason, but one of the great things about studying scriptures is you've got to learn about all sorts of trades. And what a cornerstone is, in essence, is it's the stone, not necessarily the biggest stone, but it's the most important stone in a foundation because it's on the corner And because it's on the corner, it determines the direction, the lie, the pattern, the height, the orientation, the angle of everything else in the entire foundation. That is who Jesus Christ must be for this church. The cornerstone. It means the truth of the gospel. Who Jesus is, the reconciliation he's One for us is the truth more than any other truth that the church is built upon. So I'd say it this way. Being gospel centered is not a 21st century evangelical fad. A lot of people, more people talking about being gospel centered today than we were here 20 years ago. But it's not a fad. It's a biblical necessity. Because a church that is not built on the gospel is not a biblical church. That doesn't mean that the word gospel has to show up in every other sentence that comes out of the preacher's mouth. (laughs) Okay? But it does mean that the content of the preaching you hear on Sunday morning in this place should be saturated with Jesus. Saturated with Jesus. You may have a hundred preferences... About the personality of the preachers up here. The style of the music. The demographics of the congregation. Or the length of the service. But there's one thing friend. That you should care about. More than anything else. And that's this. Is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Being preached from this pulpit. And if you don't care about that for 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, you know what's going to happen? Over time, there will be preachers up here who don't care about it either. Because we are all prone to assemble around ourselves whatever our itching ears want to hear. It's true. It's true. So over the years, church, there are going to be many things that God calls us to do, programs to run, activities to be involved in. But I want to charge you today with the Apostle Paul that you dare not presume upon our foundation or neglect our foundation. Because too many churches go astray because her pastors and her people allow matters of secondary importance to distract them from what is of primary importance. So, don't let that happen here. Don't let it happen here. On a corporate level, that means, that means at a minimum that you need to insist your pastors preach the gospel. You should thank them for preaching the gospel. And you should pray that they never stop preaching the gospel. And on an individual level, please hear this. Take care that you never become more passionate or prone to do this about a particular program, policy, or personnel decision than you are about whether the truth of the gospel is preached from this pulpit. That's the one thing. You should be more passionate about than anything else when it comes to your church. I'm not saying that things like mercy ministry, financial transparency, or elder accountability, or international missions are not important. They're very important. And we better keep growing in all those areas. But Kingsway, quite simply, they are not our foundation. They're not. They're not what the church is built on. They're not what Kingsway has been built on. We've been built for 27 years on the gospel. And under my watch and watch of this pastoral team, we are not going to stop. We're not going to stop. Because as one man said, a church that assumes the gospel is one generation away from abandoning the gospel. May it not happen here. Amen. Not happen here. A true church, a biblical church... The kind of church that's the goal of the gospel is built on the gospel. That's the first answer. Here's the second. A true church, a biblical church, the goal of the gospel, that kind of church, is connected in Christ. Built on the gospel, connected in Christ. Okay, this is really, really important. Look, Look at verses 21 and 22. Paul describes the church as that which is what? Being joined together and being Built together in Christ. And if I could say this, I think this is the one area where we probably face the greatest challenge. Are we connected in Christ? Why do I say that? Why well, say that? Because far too many Christians are content to attend a meeting on Sunday morning. To go home and for the next six days have little to no real relationship with another living, breathing Christian. We're far too content with that. There's no depth, no, no real relationship, no sense of, of needing help and giving help in the fight to follow Jesus. And so if, if that's your vision of the church, I attend on Sunday. Or more specifically, if that's your, your practice when it comes to the church, friend, please hear me. You are denying the goal of the gospel. Because the goal of the gospel is not Sunday morning attendance. The goal of the gospel is church membership. And by church membership, I do not mean getting your name on a nice little, you know, parchment roll in calligraphy in my office. It's not what I mean. The kind of church membership that's the goal of the gospel is a church membership where all the members are vitally connected to one another in Christ. Vitally connected. Vitally connected, intimately connected, relationally connected. That's God's vision for the church. A community of redeemed sinners who are joined together and built together such that someone else in this room who is not part of your biological family knows that you've had a hard week. Knows you've had a hard week. Why? Because you told them or if they ask you, you said so. (laughs) They know you're struggling. They, they know how you're trying to grow. They, they've heard you confess your sins, your weaknesses. They're, they're helping you run to Jesus. They've, they've seen the way you parent your kids. They've, they've heard the way you talk about your spouse. You might not click with them or be buddy-buddy with them, but you're nevertheless walking out the Christian life side-by-side side with them because you're convinced from God's Word that they need your help and you need their help. If we're going to follow hard after Jesus. Connected in Christ. And if, I, if we can just be really honest. There's a big part of us that doesn't want to live that way. That doesn't want to live that way. We crave independence. Do we not? We run from the mess of relationships. You know, I, I'd say it this way. That the self-sufficiency of isolation. Feels more comfortable to us than the humility of real community. And every one of us, apart from a major crisis, is all too happy, in some cases, to limit our church connection to attending meetings. Or if we're feeling really spiritual, maybe we'll serve on a ministry team or show up at a work day. Now, those are good things. (laughs) Don't stop doing that. But I want to challenge you to consider this morning, are you vitally connected to another Christian if you call yourself a Christian? In other words, does another man or woman know how you're really doing? How you're really doing? To be a member of the church is to be vitally connected to other members of the church. And that's the case because God is the one who's building us together. Okay, notice we are being joined. We're being built. Both of those verbs are passive. What does that mean? That means it's something God is doing in us and for us and through us. And yet we have to decide, friend, whether or not we'll choose a lifestyle and protect a schedule that allows us to experience the kind of close community with one another that God is even now working to create. And so I'm thankful, I'm really thankful, if you regularly attend Kingsway on Sunday morning. I'm very thankful for that. But if all you would do is attend a church, then you're not living as a Christian. You're living in denial of your identity in Christ, Because he saves you that you might be vitally connected to other Christians. Now, having said this, I, I know, I know that some of you have probably been hurt by past relationships with other Christians. It happens. Maybe you've been hurt by, by someone else in this room. And I think on the backside of that, it's incredibly tempting to hold people at, at arm's length and not go all in on relationship in the way that maybe we used to. I, I, I get that. And, and in many ways, the instincts in my heart are no different. We, we all tend to pull back a little bit from what feels uncomfortable. But friend, being comfortable is not the goal of the gospel. <laughs> Jesus Christ didn't die to make you comfortable. He died to make you like Himself. And guess how he's going to do that by so building you and joining you as a member in a real physical local church that with all our rough edges and all our troubles and all our problems, the net result is at the end of that, you look more like Jesus. Why? Because you helped me become more like Jesus and I let you help. I got that backwards. And you helped others become more like Jesus. It's the way it's supposed to work. There's not a category in scripture for a lone ranger, unaffiliated, disconnected, Sunday morning attending only Christian. You won't see that in scripture. If you're a Christian, then you are a member of the household of God. And so the question is not if you are. The question is, are you going to live that way or not? And that starts with saying, Lord Jesus, I am willing to submit to you by joining a local church as a member of that church. Not because I just wanted my name on a roll or people are pressuring me to do it. No, because you've already said that you're making me a member of your household. And I want to testify publicly that I'm on board with that. And I'm aligned with that. And I am thankful that you are doing that in me. It doesn't have to be King's way. But if you call yourself a Christian, you had better be a member of a church somewhere. It's who God made us to be, connected in Christ. Built on the gospel, connected in Christ, here's the third answer. What's a true church? kind of church that's the goal of the gospel? That church will be a church that is growing in holiness. Built on the gospel, connected in Christ. Number three, growing in holiness. Look at verse 21. I've already alluded to this. In Christ, Paul says, the whole structure, the church, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now listen very carefully here. In part because this is the point in a sermon where some of us get sleepy. Okay, including the pastor who just started flubbing his words. All right? So we need to focus here. Focus on this point. All right. In this age, the church, including Kingsway, is not a finished product. Not a finished product. We are under construction. There is a permanent Under construction sign that you ought to see on that front lawn whenever you pull up onto this property that never goes away till Jesus comes back under construction. And that's not because we're in the problem zone. That's actually God's vision. God's vision for the church, for our church, isn't that We achieve some sort of benchmark as fast as we possibly can and then can drive it easy till the end, but rather that we continue growing week by week and year by year. And, And let me just say as a pastor, that's tremendously humbling and that requires a great deal of faith. Why do I say that? Well, because I can't stand to be in process. I can't. I can't stand to be in process. I don't, I want the finished product. I want it yesterday. <laughs> I'm goal oriented. I like perfection. Ask my wife. And if you're goal oriented like I am, friend, then when it comes to something you really care about, like the church, it's so easy to get discouraged with the process. You know, case in point, point. You know, let's just be honest, your founding pastor resigns because of a moral failing, and it's not that many years after a painful church split. Okay, if you haven't been around here for long, that, that's part of our story as a church. Remember here, you have your own stories in your family of things we think, boy, I would love to not be in process. What, what are we going to do with that? Well, on the one hand, it's really easy to get discouraged. You know, to, to feel ashamed or, or embarrassed or even find yourself longing for the day when, when you can say to the community around us, Pro- problems? What problems? No problems here. We're not like all those other churches. We've got our act together. I mean, sure, we have room to grow, but, but we've pretty much arrived. You should totally come to Kingsway. I mean, it's something in me that, that wants that. But the reality is that day's never going to come. It's never going to come. By the, by the grace of God, friends, the pain that we've walked through in the last year, last five years, isn't going to hurt so much five years from now as it can hurt today. But we have to remember, please hear this, that God's vision for the church isn't that we get past our problems and arrive in the land of Perfection. That is not God's vision for the church. God's vision for the church is not that we get past our problems and arrive at perfection. God's vision for the church is that we keep growing despite our problems and through our problems by the grace of God so that the world sees in our weaknesses that we serve a mighty Savior. And that's why I'm still a pastor here, by the way. Because I believe that. I believe that. Now, does that mean that we switch from hoping in perfection to hoping in perfectly learning all the lessons along the way? No, no. But it means that our contentment as a church need not come from achieving some sort of status. We're constantly assessing, are we there, are we there, are we there, are we there? No, our contentment as a church should come from growing year by year, decade by decade, in the one thing that God says he cares about more than anything else. You know what that is? Verse 21. Holiness. Holiness. That's what God's looking at. You know, what does the world look at? The world looks at numbers. The world looks at dollar signs. King Jesus looks at holiness. Holiness. He's not supremely concerned with the quality of our sound system, the creativity of our children's ministry, or the magnetism of our preaching. King Jesus is supremely concerned, friends, with whether or not we are holy as he is holy. That's his chief concern. Are we obeying him and living in submission to him with every thought, every word, every deed? And I'm not just talking about our individual holiness. I'm talking about our corporate holiness, our church holiness, or the holiness of this community. So, so notice what Paul says. God's joining us together so that as a result of our vital connection, the whole structure the entire church grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Why do I... Say that, Why does Paul say, Holy Temple, not holy person? Well He says that because if you 're a church member, the choices that you made last week and the choices you 're going to make this week as to whether or not you 're going to obey Jesus aren 't just affecting you. they're affecting your church family. They 're affecting all of us. When I sin or you sin, we 're not just hurting ourselves, we 're damaging our corporate witness. To the truth of the gospel, because if our life as a church, as a community looks no different than the world around us in any respect, then what does that say to the world? Well, that says that the gospel is a joke. That says that what we talk about on Sunday mornings is nothing more than that something we talk about on sunday mornings there there is no real transforming power at work here to change us and make us look more like jesus the world is all too happy to see that in some senses they want that because it takes them off the hook for having to bow and submit their knee to king jesus god cares about our holiness as a congregation because god cares about the world seeing that jesus is mighty to save Okay, that's why your obedience is so important, especially if you're a member. It's why corporate discipline is important. Okay? None of us is perfect. All right. But the standard we carry into battle is not this, Kingsway. Hi, we're a mess. Welcome to the church. That sounds humble. Okay. Okay. And I said, don't forget that I've already said there's a there's a very real sense in which there's always a under construction sign out front. But the standard we carry into battle as we go out to the world this week is not hi, I'm a mess. You know what it is? It's hi, I serve a great savior and he is changing me and transforming me and sanctifying me and taking out what is sinful and putting in what is good. And he's doing that despite my weaknesses and sins. So the day he brings me home. That's the standard you carry into battle. May, may there be no false humility coming out of this church. That, On the heels of our troubles, switches the standard that says, Hi, we've got our act together too. Hi, we're a mess. Both of those lie about Jesus. The one says we don't need him. The other says he's not big enough. The standard we carry is we are broken people who have a great savior who is day by day making us more like Jesus. Okay. We need to be built on the gospel. We need to be vitally connected in Christ and we need to be growing in holiness, growing in holiness. And that happens because we're being joined together. Never happens in isolation. You are not going to become more like Jesus. If you remain isolated from real relationship with other Christians, here's the last answer. Well, it's a true church, the kind of church that's the goal of the gospel, built on the gospel, connected in Christ, growing in holiness. Lastly, briefly, it's a church that's filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. I'll put this real simply. This is not our house. Not our house. This is God's house. God's house. And when I talk about the house, I'm not talking about a physical building. But I want to thank those of you who have have given and continue to give quite generously so that we have a base here for real gospel ministry. Okay, thank God for the physical building. But God doesn't live in the building. God lives in the community of his people. We don't think about that very often, but, but look at verse 22. Paul says we're being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit spirits just think about that with all our troubles all our problems all our under construction nests God says that's my house that's my address that's where I'm going to live you know I, I don't know if somebody's ever asked you one of these you know, games or ice breaking settings they don't always break the ice but you know it's fun Hey, if you could live anywhere in the world, where would you want to live? You know, if you, if you ask me that, come up to me today and say that, I would probably say I'd like to build a log cabin um, on the side of Indian Pass in Glacier National Park in Northwest Montana. Thank you. Beautiful. Okay, it's beautiful. Trust me if you haven't been there. Just spend my days hunting and fishing and uh, could not follow Jesus because I'd be isolated. But I want to live there. If I got to pick, that's what I'd pick. Do you know if you ask God of all the places in the entire world, entire universe, Lord, where do you want to live? you know what he says? Right here. Of all the places he wants to live right here he's not just, he's not even like waiting. He, he doesn't even give us the option, right? He just says, hi, <laughs> I'm here. You know, moving truck. Come on in guys, furniture. Let's move in. Well, why does he do that? Because he knows we never invite him, right? Because what happens when God decides to dwell in your midst, you have to start becoming holy as he's holy. And there's part of us isn't like that. But God says of all the places on earth that I'm going to live. I'm going to live with you. My people. It's amazing. So high school students. When you meet on Wednesday nights. God is present. Season saints. When you meet on Sunday afternoons. God is present. Man when you gather for accountability groups during the week. or If you pull up with another mom for coffee. Or. Or explain the gospel to some crazy toddlers and king's kids. God is present. I'm not just talking about present in this sort of omnipresent sense like wherever you go, God is miraculously there. No, he is uniquely present. He is powerfully present. His his presence is pronounced and specific in the community of the church in a way that you will find nowhere else on earth. That's what he's saying and that is a gift that's a gift that God is present here so let me make one application before we close on this point if God is present here right if if the church is filled with the spirit then we need to be very careful about the way we speak of the church very careful That doesn't mean we should be blind to our faults. But it does mean that our attitude toward the church, this church, Kingsway, should never be one primarily of critique or skepticism. Never. It should primarily be one of humility, gratitude, and respect. Take care, friend, that you don't denigrate with your words. What God died to save. And that you don't tear apart through divisive speech, divisive actions. What Jesus says is not just worth the price of his blood, but is his home. God's home. We're nothing less than the dwelling place of God with all our faults, with all our failures, with all our under construction nests remember the main point the gospel has a result the gospel has a goal it culminates in something what is that church membership church membership is the goal of the gospel and the kind of church that god is seeking the kind of church he is forming it's meant to be a church that is built on the gospel connected in christ growing in holiness and filled with the spirit i don't know about you But that makes me really thankful for you and really thankful for this church, not because we're somehow perfect or better than another church, but because God says all of those things by his grace are true here. Are true here. Kingsway, God, God has helped us to be built on the gospel. God is helping us to be connected in Christ. God is helping us to, to grow in holiness. And as we gather on Sundays, God is showing us that he's filled this place with his spirit. And so I want to charge you today. I want to charge you to remember that you are no longer a stranger and an alien. You are a member of the household of God. Don't take that for granted. Labor for the health and strength of this place. And keep your eyes on Jesus, the chief cornerstone. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I pray as we sing one more song now that you would answer that charge by directing our gaze back to the cornerstone. Lord, it's just, it's an amazing privilege to realize that what you're doing here with people like us, I pray that day by day, week by week, year by year, that we would never forget that membership in the church, membership in this church, is the goal of the gospel. I pray right now, Father, for those who Have lost sight of that. For those who are denying your identity. By just. Showing up on Sunday. If they're a Christian. Lord I I pray for those that. That need courage to be connected. That need humility to. Pursue relationship. Would you give those things. Lord I I pray for men and women who sit here and know. I I can't be connected to a church. Because I'm not connected to God yet. Oh Father would you. Would you so move right now That. The Holy Spirit, through the power of the gospel, would reconcile men and women in this room to you. That we might be, in turn, reconciled and joined to one another. Thank you for being our foundation. Thank you for being our cornerstone. Would you fill us with new confidence that we have a good foundation, a sure foundation, a solid rock to stand on. We love you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.